Well, you also noticed in your bulletin this week um, uh, a copy of our readings for um, actually the next couple of months. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, is that uh, those were given last week. If you need a couple co- more copies, they're available out at the info desk. But this is a time for us to walk through the Word together. So um, we want to encourage you each week to be reading in preparation for our time in the Word as we walk through the book of Acts. I want to talk a little bit as we begin this morning about some who have waited. There were the Israelites waiting in Egypt for freedom from slavery. There was Joseph. He waited in a jail after the unjust charges from Potiphar. Joseph waited in jail for an extended time. There was Job, perhaps the epitome of waiting in the Bible. We see a man who lost almost everything. And yet Job waited. Job waited for God to restore. There was Ruth who had lost her husband, her father-in-law. Ruth who had waited in due time for a husband in Boaz. King David anointed, called to be king at an early age. He waited in obedience for the Lord's timing to become king. Daniel, in multiple settings, we see Daniel modeled to us awaiting for deliverance, especially as he waited in the lion's den. And again, we see the Israelites, they waited for a Messiah. They all waited And so many more examples in Scripture of people seeking to be the people of God and waiting. They waited for an answer. They waited for reassurance from God. They awaited for a confirmation of God's blessing. They waited for peace from God. They waited for resolution from God. They waited for restoration from God. Instead of trying to take those situations, manipulate or control in their own humanness to make happen what they wanted to happen, they waited in obedience. I absolutely believe that waiting is sometimes the most prominent stance or position that we take as the people of God. Think about it in your own life. Think about the times that you felt like you have waited on God. Now, I'm not talking about waiting in line for a cup of coffee or waiting for a burger. Yeah, that can be strenuous, I know. But no, I'm talking about the waiting when you absolutely believed you were being obedient to the Lord. And what the Lord had asked you to do is to wait. 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 It's a very difficult stance or position as the people of God. But as we're going to look as we move into the book of Acts, in the latter part of chapter 1, it is exactly what Jesus asked the disciples to do. If you remember, if you read or were with us, in chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 1, what we read about is Luke's account which, again, was an overlap from volume 1, the Gospel of Luke, we have volume 2, the book of Acts. And what we 
Saul recorded by Luke was an account that overlapped the account at the end of the book of Luke. And that was this time where Jesus, in about 40 days after his um, resurrection, before his ascension, he was with the disciples. And he gives them this command. He says, wait. I don't know if you've ever had God tell you to wait. But it's a tough spot to be. But I believe what we're going to look at today will give us a picture of what it means to wait. What it looks like as disciples, you and I, those of us who believe in Jesus. What does it mean to wait in obedience? Let's take a look. This will be on the screen. We're going to start with uh, in chapter 1 of verse 12. This section is known as, um, at least in my particular version, Matthias, chosen to replace Judas. We'll read a little bit about how that came about. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walked from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And then Luke gets a little graphic. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. For, said Peter, is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Verse 21, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men, Peter said, who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one, for one of these must become a witness with us, of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. The lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Wait. Wait for my spirit, Jesus said. This is approximately about 10 days where they waited. They waited on from one big event to the next big event. But in that 10 days, it was a period of time that as I shared last week, what we see over and over in the book of Acts, we see disciples who had Jesus in bodily form, in human form with them, learning then how to live as disciples of Jesus with Jesus no longer there, at least in body. 
His spirit had not come yet. So what are they to do in this period? I don't think it's all that different than what we live as our lives as disciples. Now, the difference is, what we know is as believers, if you have accepted Jesus Christ and what Jesus did on the cross, his death and resurrection, you are promised the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in you. We are post-Pentecost. Pastor Josh is going to talk about that next week in detail, but we are post-Pentecost. So we are not awaiting the Holy Spirit if we are believers in Jesus Christ. But yet waiting in obedience seems to be exactly what we do that I believe is happening right here in this passage of Scripture. We continually find ourselves there. Let's just say a lot of times it's not very comfortable. Perhaps it is you being faithful to follow God. And when everybody around you says, hey, do this. Hey, don't do that. Do what you want to do. But yet you choose to be obedient by being faithful. Perhaps it's trusting God in sickness as you wait And even as you wait for a diagnosis, and a diagnosis comes, and it's not the diagnosis that you prayed for, but yet, in trust and obedience, you believe that God is who He says He is. And so you wait in obedience. Sometimes it looks like acknowledging God in a time where it seems like He's not acknowledging you. It's also one of those times where I have watched people in this congregation praise God with joy when everything in their life screams sadness and sorrow and grief. You waited in obedience. This story, I believe, sets up the book of Acts and the patterns of spiritual formation that we will see over and over again. Whether you've heard it or not, but I'm going to be a grandpa. Most of you know that, I think, but I've had people say, you didn't tell us. Well, it was on Facebook, so I thought the world knew. Um, Samantha and Jared are expecting uh, October 20th, and I've been thinking a lot, and despite what Janine shared in the first service, I was thinking about my age. Actually, it wasn't the age thing I was thinking about. I was thinking, and grandparents, I hear this is what just wonderfully ruins you, is you begin to think about what are you leaving? Not just your kids, what are you leaving your grandkids? It really does start to grip your heart and mind. It does so as parents, but then uh, as a grandparent, you begin to think, what do I want to mark my life with? What do I want people to know about Jesus because of me? This particular setting is a setting where the early church gave us such a model for what it means to be the church. But I will tell you, it's not an easy formula. It is hard, it is difficult, and it requires waiting in obedience. Not necessarily inactivity, but waiting. It's waiting that says, we're not going to do just what we want to do. We're going to seek what God wants to do. And so I want to make a couple observations for us this morning out of this passage that I believe mark the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ as we wait. Our waiting's not over. We wait for the ultimate return and the restoration 
of a new heaven and a new earth. So we're all waiting, but even in some very specific ways. The first observation I want to make is that a disciple of Jesus Christ gathers with other believers in a time of waiting. A disciple of Jesus Christ gathers with other believers in a time of waiting. If you look at verse 12, verse 12 says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. On to verse 13, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Do you notice they didn't all split? They didn't all take off and disperse from one another? They didn't say, well, i got to go figure out what's going on, so I'm out of here. No. In one accord, they stayed together. Now, some might say, well, life circumstances keep us from being together all the time. Yes, yeah, so be it. But in a time of waiting, we as the church... As believers in Jesus Christ, we should be people who aren't afraid to gather. I know some of you like to be alone, and that's your personality. I realize that sometimes people drain you instead of energizing you. It does not remove what the model that we see in this and other passages of Scripture. Because when we come together in times of waiting, we have a very, very significant purpose, and that purpose is to encourage one another. There may be times that you need to be by yourself. But if you find yourself alone, if you find yourself constantly secluding yourself in a time of waiting, you will miss out on the greatest blessings of God through His people, one another. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it's a passage of Scripture I refer to a lot. It has settled in my heart and mind over a lot of years But it says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. What's beautiful about this verse is Paul is not only saying keep doing it, but he said, you know what, great job for that you're already doing it. I say this to you. I see this church, a big part of our identity is that we encourage one another. That's why we have the measure of mouths devoted to encouraging. But look at that phrase, one another. It's what we call our small groups. There are about a hundred occasions in the New Testament with that phrase, one another. I think that means we probably should follow. One another. It speaks to themes of unity and love and humility. But what it also does is it speaks to our belief that God is going to use people, the people of God in our lives, to lead us through some very dark times of waiting. I think of a lot of circumstances in this congregation where I've watched the people of God gather. And as Matthew 18.20 says, you know it, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. There's power in that. There's incredible authority in that. There is an incredible assurance in that. And I also think what we see in this passage of Scripture is that they are in multiple places. They started out outside of the city in the Mount of Olives, but then they were in the city. Even though they were in a private room, they were in a very public area, part of the city. It reminds us that as we gather as believers, we should do so. Not just in a setting on Sunday morning, but we should gather in one another's homes. We should gather 
in public places, in private places, to encourage each other. In large gatherings, in small gatherings, is the model we see here. And what I love about this is I believe it speaks to the fact that we should gather for special occasion, but we should also gather as believers to encourage in the most common of activities of life. Common. That's where I believe God begins to use us in one another's lives. But here's one other aspect of gathering that I think is important. Look at what Peter does. Remember Peter. Constantly jumping out. Committing to things that he's not able to follow through with. Yet good old Peter doesn't give up. But something has happened in Peter. He now has had a life transforming experience with his Lord and Savior. And so he stands up, not um, stumbling over his words, not messing around, trying to say, hey, let's just go do something. But he stands up and he says in the power of God, says, okay, we need to get some things accomplished here because it is our mission. As apostles, we are messengers And I believe what is significant about this for us is that we must learn that any time we gather, whether it's a small group, whether it's a large group, you have a place. Not every one of you are going to be a Peter and stand up. If I ask my wife, who is a very behind-the-scenes person, to stand up and lead a group, um, ooh, that would not be good. Not because she couldn't do it, But because that's not her place, and she knows that. Not because anyone has told her not to, but she knows in her relationship with the Lord, she thrives behind the scene, which is why she's a beautiful pastor's wife that supports me beyond what anybody except her God knows. But yet, we need leaders. We need behind-the-scenes people. The point is, is that you have a role. If you come in simply as a part of gathering with other believers, whether it's on a Sunday morning or in other places, and you simply are an observer, you haven't understood what we see in this passage, that we all have a place to participate. And that's significant because sometimes God needs just you. No one else in the group will do, but you. And so you must seek to understand that. Recently in this church, there was a lady who went through the loss of a parent. And this parent was diagnosed with a terminally ill disease. And I love, as your pastor, watching you play a role. And the role was in a role of waiting as death came upon this parent. And I've seen it over the years in a lot of different capacities. But I saw some of you take food. I saw some of you pray. I saw some of you just giving a phone call. Some of you sending a note. When that parent died and that person returned to church after being away, I watched you surround and love and care for this person. You gathered. You played a role. That is the mark of the church of God. That is a key mark we see in this scripture. I see it when I have the privilege. Some of you um, teenagers have had this privilege. Pastor Stan, many of the deacons do this. We go and we visit senior adults who are bound to their home. And I don't think any of us know how difficult that is until we're there. But I will tell you, what I see over and over is people from this church learning to play their role 
in the ministry of presence. It doesn't mean you got to come with all of this or all of that. You simply come as a brother and sister in Christ. I challenge you to consider what it's like to play a role, not only in visiting senior adults, but in whatever place God has called you to in this body. The Life at Home Resource Center has pointers which give multiple different life situations. I've said this before. I'm going to keep saying it. Because sometimes we are constantly thinking about what is our life situation. There's time for that. But there's also time for us to step out of what we're going through and to look and see who else in the body of Christ here at ECOB is in a time of waiting and obedience. And what role can I play? That's why those pointers are out there, because they will open you up to what it's like, if you don't know, to be a parent, a single parent raising children. What it's like to be a grandparent raising your grandchild, or what it's like as your parents are getting older and you're caring for them and you have to love them, and it's taking every ounce of energy you have. You see, a disciple of Jesus Christ gathers with other believers in a lot of different ways in a time of waiting. Another observation I'd like to make, and this is probably the most pivotal one in this passage, the most obvious, let me say it that way. A disciple of Jesus Christ prays through a time of waiting. Prays through a time of waiting. Look at verse 14. A disciple of Jesus Christ prays through a time of waiting. And so what we see here, they all joined together. What's the word? All right, I know Amanda was coughing, but she wasn't coughing that loud. I should have heard you. Okay, let's try it again. Sorry, Amanda. All right, let's say it again. What's the word there? Constantly. Constantly. I know that feels like this big audacious goal that's like there's no way constantly. It really is a heart and an attitude that is ready at any moment to be praying. Not just in desperation out of a time of need, but also to call upon and praise God for what he's doing. That's what praying together in a pattern of prayer in the life of a body of Christ is. That's the primary characteristic we see here, and it should mark us. It shouldn't mark us just when we are gathered. If you would go across most churches in America and, and solely relied on them praying on a Sunday morning, churches do pretty good at it. We know how to pray. But here's what I want to mark this church Because I believe it's what God calls us to be as disciples and as the church collectively. How if we took Sunday morning prayer, we're not going to do that. But if we took it out of measuring our pattern of prayer, what would it look like? What would it look like? How many times would we see in our lives, outside of just gathering on Sunday morning, would we see prayer be a pattern? You know what? I think it's strong. I absolutely think it's strong in this congregation because there are things that are happening in this body of believers that can only be explained by what God is doing as you call upon Him in prayer. Praise Him for that. That is such a good thing. But I'm telling you, it should mark us. 
Luke emphasizes early in this letter, and you will see it again in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6, and other occasions. He will continue to say, and they gathered together and they prayed. They prayed fervently. They prayed consistently. They prayed for one another. Ephesians 6.18, which is quite interesting to me, in this whole picture that Paul gives to the church of Ephesus um, as the armor of God, often people will list out the armor and they leave verse 18 out. This is the link of all the other armor. This is the power of the Spirit of all the other armor. It's this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I cannot tell you the number of times in my own life in a time of waiting and obedience where I could not pray. It wasn't because I lost faith in God. It wasn't because I didn't trust God anymore. But for whatever reason, multiple reasons, I needed my brothers and my sisters in Jesus Christ to pray for me. And guess what? You did. But I've also been on the other side of that, where you have been in those places. And, and we don't want to be like the friends of Job. We don't want to be like perhaps Job's wife. Hey, just curse God and be done with it. No. Job didn't do that. He was obedient. And so because of that, we have to come around one another and we must pray. In this particular situation, they were making a really big decision. A really big decision. Now, I don't know if any of you noticed, there's this little incident at the end. Right at the end of this passage, there's this little incident before, as they're choosing who to take the place. They cast lots. (gasps) It sounds so magic-like, doesn't it? Here's what we need to understand. There's lots of commentaries. Pastor Josh and I were talking about this week because there's lots of commentaries out there that suggest this and that, whatever. Here's what we need to know about casting lots. Casting lots was something like, in this case, taking a jar, taking a couple of stones, putting the names of both of the men on those stones, and they would shake it. And then they would turn it over, and they would trust the Lord for the first stone to fall out. That's who the Lord has chosen. Now, if you do that and you call upon the God of whatever and you try to tap into some um, divine creature, yes, that's not good. But that's not what they were doing here. They, this practice throughout the Old Testament was a common appropriate practice. And what you will see in this passage of Scripture is that they, it was coupled, in fact, led and initiated by prayer. They didn't do a human election. They prayed. And in that prayer, in this very typical old covenant practice, they trusted God as they cast lots. Here's what's also interesting. There is no record in the New Testament after Pentecost of anybody casting lots. Hmm. Now, I'm not God. I don't know all the reasons for that. But I do think it has something to do with the fact of the new covenant. They didn't need the old covenant practice anymore of casting lots. They had the Spirit of God among them. So don't get too caught up there. And if you want to believe another theory, then whatever. But don't get too caught up in the fact that they were trailing off on their own. Because again, it was bathed in prayer. 
I want to challenge us as we move to our final point as this, this um, practice of prayer. We talk about devoting our knees to prayer, and Acts is a great model, not the book of Acts, but adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's a great model for us to spur one another along in as we seek to be more like Christ. But in waiting, we cling to those prayers. Let's be praying people. The third observation I want to make to kind of close things out is that a disciple of Jesus Christ leans on God's word in a time of waiting. A disciple of Jesus Christ leans on God's word in a time of waiting. In this setting, Peter stands up. And Peter's first claim is this. We have to fulfill what Scripture says. He knew Scripture And he goes back and quotes two different psalms. But what he says is that we must help fulfill scripture by our actions and decisions and fill the place that Judas left. The principle here for us is that they allowed the scriptures, the word of God, to guide them through decisions. That has to be one of our marks. Not that we go to a word of God, the Word of God to uh, uh, make it look like we are. Not to just quote and throw out verses whenever we feel like it. No, but truly, no. Peter knew. As he stood there and spoke with authority, he knew. And he called upon the Word of God. I thought of Psalm 119.11, which is a very familiar verse to many people. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What if in every decision that you made as a disciple of Jesus, every decision that we made as a church was was bounded by, based on, founded in the Word of God? Now, I know for us in the, the beautiful history of ECOB is you would say, well, why not? Why would we ever do that? That's pretty cool because I don't think we would ever want to do that. I know your elders. I know the former pastors, and and many of you have been in this church for decades. You would be heartbroken if you thought that we would make decisions as the people of God outside of God's Word. But I will tell you that's hard work. That means we must know the Word of God, and not just your pastors and your elders. We together must know it. We must embrace it, and we must be dependent on his word because here's ultimately what the word of God does it can do a lot of things for us but the word of God ultimately reveals God his character and his ways and that's what we need in a time of waiting we don't need one more opinion we need the word of God there is a former a young mother who grew up in this church. She's a young mother now with a couple of children. And part of her family still attends this church. And a member of that family was telling me uh, just about a week ago and said, um, this young mother, which I knew, had went through just a horrific experience as a young mother. She lost a child um, in womb. She had a miscarriage quite far along. As if that's not horrific enough... Um, to try to walk that and wait in obedience. I mean, how do you explain something like that 
out. You can't. But yet, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to wait in obedience. Waiting maybe for an answer that we will never get. But waiting all the while, trusting in the Lord's will and trusting in the Lord's timing. And this young mother, who I am so proud of, said to this family member, you know what got me through? And she's about six, nine months beyond this now, I believe is the time frame. She said it was scripture. She said I had a lot of wonderful people around me. And I know some of you from this church cared for her and their family in the time of grief. And she said I loved all that and I appreciate it all. But what got me through was what I knew about God from his word. What I could believe and was assured by from his word. And so I want to I challenge you with something here. Don't just throw out a verse of scripture to somebody in a time of waiting. And it's not because I don't believe that God can, God's going to take his word and he's going to use it and he's going to do whatever he wants with it. But it feels and it comes across very uh, almost arrogant and lazy, let me just say, just to throw a passage of scripture at somebody. But here's where I believe the power of God's word is is that if we take time to pray, if we are going to share Scripture with somebody in a time of waiting, and we pray through that, and we allow God to speak to our hearts in that Scripture, and then we share not just a passage of Scripture, as powerful as it is on its own, is that we also say, let me tell you how God has cared for me with this passage of Scripture, if that be the case. And it's, again, not that God's word needs any support from us, but who needs the support is the person who is receiving it. And sometimes they may not be in a place to receive the word of God, and so you become the vessel and the conduit to help them understand how God's word is life. Yes, you, every one of you is a believer. Don't you dare say, I'm not smart enough. You have the Holy Spirit. You are equipped by the power of God. You have all that you need. Look for those opportunities. Because there are people like this young mother. Now thankfully she knew the Lord. There are many who don't know the Lord and have that foundation that need to hear God's word and himself revealed in his word. So as I pull this together this morning, I want to just reflect back for a moment. What I've talked about in this passage of Scripture are patterns of spiritual formation. You know, we've been talking about this vision of by 2026, we want to develop a pattern, build a pattern of spiritual formation in this congregation so that we can pass that on. Here's, here's a great example of patterns of spiritual formation. Gathering in times of waiting with other believers. Praying through times of waiting and Last but certainly not least, leaning on God's word in times of waiting. Because that's how we become more like Jesus. That's how we understand our identity. As the band comes up, let me say a final word about this. We chose the book of Acts partly as the timing of where we're at because we believe that it's going to teach us over and over again about what it means to be disciple. That's not an insult to you. That's not indicative that you don't have a clue about it. But we need, we need to continue to let those things mark our lives. And so we're going to continue to talk about them. I'm going to invite you to stand. 
as we prepare for a time of closing worship. I want to invite you, maybe you'd like to come this morning, and if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you don't know what it means really to experience living life with other believers, then I, I call out to you to come, and one of the pastors or elders would be glad to pray with you. But also maybe this is a time this morning just to commit in a new way to God to develop these patterns of spiritual formation in your life. Let's worship.